This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and with me today on the show once again is Matt Harrison. Glad to have you with us, Matt. This is our second consecutive week of recording on Wednesday. The show will be out Thursday morning. Are you proud of me, Matt? I'm proud of us, Ricky. I am proud of us. I'm proud of us, too. Well, we had an interview segment lined up, and our first one, I was really excited about it, but unfortunately, the interviewee... Uh, came down with a cold and is coughing a lot. So we're going to reschedule that for next week. Um, that's going to be with Carla Kometz, who is an adjunct professor at USF St. Petersburg. Uh, she was recently also given a seat on the board of directors for the Florida Alliance for Assistive Services and Technology. And uh, her role is pretty impressive there, a bunch of roles, but one of them is to advocate for assistive technology and services. So she's going to be talking a lot about Um, how to be more inclusive and how to have better accessibility when you design courses, uh, whether it be offline or online, but specifically online as well. So, hey, we're definitely looking forward to that first interview, and uh, that's going to be a first for the EdTech Weekly Show. We're excited to have her join us next week. But because we won't have a featured segment this week, we're just going to do a quick run through the stories of the week. We tried to focus on some of the accessibility stories that are out there uh, right now and some, some resources to kind of build some excitement for that interview that was going to be today, but it'll just build it for next week, so we'll be good. Matt, let's get started with a look at the headlines. Our first story is from TechCrunch, and it explains that future transhumanist tech may soon change the definition of disability. So MIT bionics designer Hugh Herr, who had lost both of his legs in a mountain climbing accident, recently said in a TED Talk on disability, a person can never be broken Our built environment, our technologies are broken and disabled. We, the people, need not accept our limitation, but can transcend disability through technological innovation. It's kind of an interesting perspective, a different way to look at it, Um, especially if you start thinking about educating those with disabilities and how you can reach those people. Um, We have some possibilities in the future here where people with reading disabilities, even the way they see words, might be able to be altered by some sort of, as they call it, transhumanist technology. Um, Matt, any thoughts on this? Oh, I think it's um, an amazing field that's going to open up more and more as time goes on. Uh, you're going to see a lot more uh, children, uh, perhaps born with uh, disabilities, soldiers coming back from war, um, You know, being able to you know, gain certain things that they had, you know, hadn't really ever had before or regain a lot of that. Um, after um, we had the Boston bombing, uh, there was a lot of people that were affected by that uh, that started to go through different types of uh, technology that was allowing them to be able to walk and run again after losing both of their legs. There was one woman who was chronicled multiple times um, being able to dance once more. Um, a lot of things that we take, we take advantage of uh, or we take for for granted, you know, yeah, for granted and stuff like that. There was also a really good um, reading through this sort of made me think about this interview, or not necessarily interview, but story that was talked about on last week tonight uh, with the girl who uh, was coming over from uh, Syria, in which her country was war torn um, and she was uh, disabled. Um, this, you know, she learned a whole other skill and a whole other language by watching a soap opera. I feel like all of those things are sort of uh, tied together where the technology and the ability for information to, you know, flow easily 
across the world has given a lot of people new perspectives and new leases on life. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's in, awesome. In the article, they they talk about not just you know making you like you were or close to the way you were or could have been, but actually better. You know, with some sort of exoskeleton devices that can make you run faster, or you know, some of these abilities could actually be better than what normal human beings, quote unquote, normal, you know, have. So. When I think of it and I put it towards education, it excites me because there are a lot of physical and mental and other disabilities that may not be exactly what we thought they were. For instance, you know, reading disabilities, how great would it be if we could come up with that thing, like I said earlier, where when they look at text, they see it the way that, you know, people who don't have that disability see it. It could be a really huge thing for education. I think as a society in general, it's huge. And I just think having that perspective for disabilities in general, uh, as Hugh Herr does, when it, the way he spoke about it, you know, it's not the person that's the problem. It's how our environment is dealing with that person that creates problems. And if we're inclusive, you know, we can certainly lessen that or even make that zero, that the effort that they have to go through just to kind of live in the environment we have. So I, I think that's a great article and, and check it out. Again, we'll post that on edtechweeklyshow.com as well. Our next story is about a post on uxmovement.com and it talks about ways to help those with visual disability like colorblindness when creating a user interface. Uh, it makes some pretty common sense points, but a lot of times I don't think you know people who are designing these necessarily think of that. Uh, for instance, an application or a website that gives you another cue just besides a change of color to know if a menu item is active or if you have the mouse over it or something like that, just to help you make your user interface more accessible. Uh, clearly in business it's important, you don't wanna lose customers, but in education, uh, you know, our goal should be to be as inclusive as possible. So if you're in that field uh, or if creating any of this type of content, you know, you definitely should be thinking about the ways other people that may have some visual or other or hearing or any other disabilities that may affect the way that they access your um, materials or your programs, you know, it's something that you should be thinking about, and it's not something that we always do. Oh, absolutely. I work with a gentleman who's colorblind, and um, working web hosting and developing websites, uh, we often go to him and ask him to take a look at it because he can give us perspective. Uh, I guess he has an issue being able to see red and green, um, they both look the same muddled color to him, whereas they stand out to me. So when I'm designing something, it really helps to go back. And, you know, uh, really the technology that's being used there, we've actually used in other things. So, um, you know, if you hover over something on a website and, you know, it's not doing anything and there's like a, a slight tinge change that happens, it's not necessarily going to grab people. People may not be colorblind, but we've started to develop that when somebody slides over um, a point of action, uh, it the a whole icon starts to move. So it actually has created more engagement, not necessarily just for people who are colorblind, but across the spectrum altogether. So yeah, you you bring up a really great point. I was uh, in a meeting and I was talking with actually uh, one of the college students, and he brought up a point. You know, we've been trying to do a lot of work to uh, get closed captioning for our, you know, uh, those people that have hearing disabilities and whatever. And, and what we found and what he said was 
it helped him, even though he doesn't have any disabilities, it helped him pay better attention to see the words go across the screen as he's listening to them. So I think you're 100% on there. Not everything that you do that helps people who have some impairments is only helping them. You know, that's a great example of ways that it's going to help any user, but it also makes it more accessible to those that have those impairments. So it's actually going to just do sort of better design than you had before because it's going to help more people than just those with disabilities. So it's, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and sorry to interject no, you're good. one last thing, but it think about being a student in high school, being taught how to do something that's using UX design to do something like this. Not only does it explain to you why you need to be doing this, it explains the experience that those people who are afflicted by something by being like being colorblind have to go through on a day-to-day basis and then starts looking through that lens of product placement um, you know signage that may be used in other areas and understanding how everybody can work together to sort of create a better system so that everybody is included in it absolutely our next story is really not a story at all but it's simply a resource that we thought would be good for educators especially who are working with educational technology. Uh, It's sites done by Microsoft, and the link is microsoft.com forward slash enable forward slash education. And, you know, if you head to that, if you need that link again, don't worry, we'll post it up on our edtechweeklyshow.com. Just look in the show notes. This site essentially gives accessibility options for educators involving Windows operating systems. So anything that can be changed or done in Windows to help students uh, with maybe disabilities or maybe just or, you know having different, better ways for them to experience the operating system. Uh, have you had any experience with these type of things, Matt? Any of these options in Windows? Uh, no, I've never really played around that much with it. Um, but looking through you know the site itself, uh, the section that says success stories, it's pretty awesome to go through and read that and see all the different places around the world that, you know, a lot of this is being used. Students at Abu Dhabi Center for Autism use assistive technology to communicate and develop language skills. That's pretty awesome. Over in Chile, you know, school uses accessible software to help blind student reach uh, top of her class. I mean, those are amazing success stories. So, absolutely, if you're a teacher who could use any of these, absolutely go ahead. I don't know that XP is necessarily relevant, but. It could be on some levels, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting point when you think about how a lot of times it's not the people that have the disabilities or the impairments who are limiting themselves. It's the people who are delivering them the information and and giving them the stuff to work with. And this is a great link. Uh, You know, you may not think even that a student needs it. It may not be an obvious impairment to you. but it's something that you should definitely share with your students. And if you know for sure there is an impairment, then this is something that you could help them work with to make it easier for them to, to succeed and do awesome things. Our final news story of the week is about a new math app that magically scans and solves math problems. Now, according to a story on complex.com, the free app is called PhotoMath. Not the most clever of names, Matt. I think you and I could have come up with that fairly easily. But apparently what is behind the name is pretty awesome. And it's available now after being in development for a couple of years. It gives you a real-time answer to math problems as you scan it. Uh, Do you suppose there's going to be in-app purchases with this, Matt? I'm hoping maybe there could be a text 
recognition as well that maybe could automatically answer a significant other's text so you know what to say and you don't have to go, what does she mean by this? Wouldn't that be kind of nice? I don't know if that there's a you know any algorithm that can break through that. <laughs> That's true. Um, no, I think it's I think it's a really really cool thing. Um, I can see it from multiple different perspectives as far as you know. Oh, you're a math teacher and you don't want your students being able to jump, you know, that quickly to be able to figure it out. Um, I don't see it as being any worse than using a TI-83 calculator when I was in high school and having my teacher say, why do you have this? Or what I used to do in physics, which was count all of the students ahead of me and then figure out which question I was going to be asked and only do that question for homework. Oh, yes. That is yes. a strategy that I think a lot of us have used before. It is a beautiful oh, yeah. strategy. I always wondered how they, no one ever figured out we were doing that. I'm sure they did, and they just didn't care. I know my physics professor probably didn't care. He was teaching... High school kids in rural New York, he pretty much... They probably were just happy that you were actually taking the time to yeah. solve one problem. I mean, it's yeah. better than zero, I guess, at that point. Yeah, I I, I don't... I always want to say, like, oh, this is going to end, you know, our sort of the way students want to learn math. But first of all, if students don't want to learn math, they're not going to learn it anyway, right? Unless you have a really great teacher. But I don't... You're right. This is much like... I mean, we can plug it into a calculator and do the same thing for a lot of equations and things like that. So it's not worse than that. It's certainly got a cool factor. Um, probably a good way to check your work if you use it like that in a classroom. But just know if you're a math teacher that this exists and that you should be prepared for a lot of your students doing really well on their problems in the book. Although I feel like most math teachers, from my experience, when they give homework for you to do out of the book, they expect you to, they usually use ones that you can actually get the answer in the back of the book too. It's more about the process of working through it. So I don't think yeah. it's going to change anything that much. No, and I would also love if the app itself, I mean, I haven't used it. I haven't really looked all that much into it. But it would be really, really cool if you scanned, like, let's say, a pretty complex problem. I mean, if it's going to be able to figure it out, it obviously has to understand the properties that exist behind it. That if it all of a sudden shot out bullet points, like, we use this method to solve this problem and to teach it. Almost like uh, the student that you were talking with about subtitles. It, you know, it would be really cool. You could reinforce what you're learning by showing the steps that you did it. Not necessarily applicable to, you know, that exact problem, but, you know, order of operations, why you did this in lieu of this and all that stuff. So Yeah, and it, and it might, to be fair, I have not downloaded the app and looked at it, so maybe that'll be a, a project before next week's show so we can report back on that. All right, Matt, yeah. we come to the end of the show. It's a quicker one. Again, the featured segment not there this time. Next week, excited about interviewing Carla and learning more about accessibility. So if you're interested in that at all, you need to check out next week's show. If you want to get any of the links that were on the show today, again, we'll mention it, edtechweeklyshow.com. Check it out. Just look in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter, at 4techteachers. That's the number 4techteachers. Sharing some good edtech stuff on that account. Email the show, edtechweekly at gmail.com. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. If you like the show more lately, if you like what we're doing, let us know. We'd love to hear from you, and we can read some of those on the air. And also, also Matt's favorite number, call and leave a voicemail at 305-92-TECH2. That's 305-92-TECH2. And, of course, we will promise to play that first voicemail on the show. So whoever's going to do it, it's going to happen at some point, Matt. It's got to. It just simply has to happen. I'm just I'm just surprised you didn't play the one you got from Zicky Rager. Oh, yes. He's quite the intelligent guy. I should have played it. 
And don't forget, we also have edtechweekly.reddit.com. It's a subreddit called edtechweekly. If you uh, are familiar with Reddit, you go there and search for the subreddit edtechweekly. If you're not familiar, just try to go to edtechweekly.reddit.com and that'll bring you right to it. Post links, resources, comment, interact um, with the edtech community. We've had a couple people actually post on there, so that's pretty cool. Um, really? Yeah. There's. I'm telling you, somebody posted. We have to go check it out. You, got, you know what? It, it hurts me that you haven't been there. I'm a mod. I should know about that. You are a mod. You should have known about that. It, it saddens me. Maybe it was just a bot. That could have been. It's possible. All right, Matt. We're done for the week. Next week, our big interview, our first guest appearance on the show. I'm pretty excited about it. Matt, do you have any words of wisdom for the people? No, but Augie Westbound is the person that posted, and they're the bomb diggity dashio. See? I told you. All right. See you next week on Ed Tech Weekly.